You've heard me talk about Morning Kick, used by former karate champion Chuck Norris. It's a daily drink from Roundhouse Provisions that combines ultra-potent greens like spirulina and kale with probiotics, prebiotics, collagen, and even ashwagandha. Just mix with water, stir, and enjoy. Unlike other green drinks out there, this one tastes similar to strawberry lemonade, and I enjoy it. I know I don't eat as many vegetables as I should, but Morning Kick has helped me make up for that, and I feel great. I have more energy and better digestion. It's an easy part of my morning routine. My wife started taking it as well. Go to roundhouseprovisions.com forward slash Harris for up to 44% off your regular priced order. Plus, every purchase is backed by a 90-day money-back guarantee. So if you want to experience smoother digestion, a boost of energy, and just an overall healthier body, then go to roundhouseprovisions.com forward slash Harris today. Welcome once again, everyone, to the Conversations That Matter podcast. I'm your host, John Harris, as always. And uh, today I have with me uh, Pastor Richard Vargas uh, from the IFCA International. IFCA.org is the website. He is the executive uh, director for the IFCA. And I've invited him on to share a little bit about uh, the IFCA because I know there's a lot of pastors right now who are in various denominations, associations, uh, cooperations, all the other Asians out there trying to do ministry with each other, get encouragement, uh, pull resources, all that kind of thing, network. And uh, they're they're experiencing some challenges uh, depending on the group that they're in because of um, one of the big things is social justice and whether or not that particular group actually shares their convictions on that topic. And um, the reason I wanted uh, Pastor Vargas to come on is to just talk about the IFCA because one of the things that has impressed me with the IFCA is they have a um, they have a magazine they put out. I actually have a copy here called Voice Magazine. And uh, a few issues ago, now I can't remember, it might have been last year, they had a whole thing on critical theory, social justice, and they really went after it. And that's not something you see uh, in, in the ordinary every day. And so, um, Pastor Vargas, thank you so much for joining me and being willing to talk about this. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Glad to. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about the IFCA and uh, the history of it? What is it? Um, what, how was it formed? Why was it formed? And then sure. uh, on top of that, you know, what can pastors today uh, who are thinking about joining, what, what kind of benefits can they get from joining? Yeah. So uh, IFCA was officially started in 1930 in a suburb of Chicago, Illinois, called Cicero, right in the middle of ganglands. And um, it was started because of what was happening here in America with uh, what were called modernists at the time, which were liberals, uh, those within the church that were seeking to modernize Christianity and make it more palatable uh, for, for people. And so um, caught inside of a lot of denominations were these uh, faithful biblical Christians who didn't want to deny the virgin birth and the miracles and all the things that were being denied by liberalism at the time. And so because of that, uh, they said, we're not going to teach these things. We're going to remain faithful to the true doctrine of Christianity. And when they did that, they found themselves being pushed out, pushed out of their churches, pushed out of their denominations, uh, pushed out of their seminaries and missions agencies. So all across the board, conservative Christianity was facing um, the choice of either staying within 
denominations and organiza organizations that were becoming more and more apostate uh, or tried to stay in and change it. Some over time stayed a little longer, but they all had to, by conscience, figure out when is the time that we need to leave. And there's a whole history there about those moderates that thought, well, we can stay and slowly influence things and end up getting influenced themselves. But those within the IFCA in 1930 um, realized there is no way we can do this anymore. Fundamentalists had moved from trying to fight and win back the denominations and all these other parachurch organizations to realizing they're lost. There's no way we can salvage what's going on in these denominations. And so they started to come out of it. And now because of what they had experienced in denominationalism realized it's better that we follow our convictions led by the Holy Spirit and not start a new denomination. We wanna remain independent. But they recognize that being independent also has a lot of weaknesses. There's, uh, you know, it's pretty hard if you're a small church to plant other churches and send your own missionaries and be a mission agency, a church planting agency, an educational institution, all these things rolled up in one. And they'd seen the benefits of working together in a denominational setting. And so instead of becoming a denomination, what they said is we will become an association of individuals, um, pastors and laymen, missionaries, and other Christian workers, along with organizations, churches, church planting organizations, uh, missions agencies, educational institutes, all kinds of things like this. And uh, many of them had to be started all over again. Churches had to be restarted. Uh, schools had to be restarted. Missions agencies had to be restarted. Church planting agencies had to be restarted because they'd been lost to what happened in uh, modernism. And so um, there's a lot of founding of different things all over the country that can be based actually in that change that happened in American evangelicalism. And many of it can be actually found rooted in our founding at IFCA. And so when you go to institutions, you can actually find that many of those institutions were founded by men who were in the IFCA in those early days and um, would be well-known names around evangelicalism today as uh, staunch biblical conservatives and so we have a, a great history, a proud history that we're um, so thankful to the Lord for. And uh, since it was 1930, you know, we're only almost eight years away from our hundredth anniversary and we haven't moved. Um, you know, we've obviously struggled and, and wrestled with things as every human institution does. Um, but our founding documents in 1930 um, are the same founding documents that we have to this day and our doctrinal statements remain unchanged and our commitment to those documents remains unchanged. And so we're firmly where we are and we're thankful to the Lord for that. So that's kind of a real quick overview of where we started and kind of where we're at today. Well, I, I think that's great. And there's a whole probably host of questions, pastors who might be listening and interested, I think would have at this point, one of them being, uh, so it's not a denomination, it's, it's right. more of an association, but uh, can you be part of a denomination? Can you be, say, Southern Baptist and also a member of the IFCA? Yeah, and that's kind of tricky because, first of all, Southern Baptists don't have individual membership for pastors. And so the church would be committed to being a Southern Baptist church. But the pastor himself, although he'd be a Southern Baptist church pastor, he wouldn't really be a member of the Southern Baptist as an individual. And so it's, it's interesting because from its founding, we saw that the reality is that there were some men that didn't have a charge and there were some men that were um, going into churches that because of their, uh, their hardship under denominational uh, uh, organizations were a little gun shy 
of joining anything. And so they wanted to remain independent and not even have associations. So they said, well, the pastor can join. He's committed to the doctrine. And then the church knows this is an IFCA man. We know what he believes. And we know that it'll line up with what we believe. So the commitment could go either way. So if a, if a, a gentleman that said, I'm a Southern Baptist pastor in the sense of I'm pastoring a Southern Baptist church, we would say no, because we want to have that independence where we are separate from any, uh, uh, you, you have two allegiances when you do that. Your, your allegiance is to the Southern Baptists or the General Association of Regular Baptists or the Evangelical Free Church. Those are all associations of types, but most of them are not even pure. They're actually a blending together of what really is denominational. Um, and then churches are free to come and go in those denominational settings, which is undenominational. And so we would say, we want you to be free of any constraints that you do what you want to do as you're convicted by scripture and the spirit. And that means you really need to be free from those, um, okay, so those kind of associations. Uh, if you want to join the IFCA, or it sounds like you, you were making, there's two tiers, there's individual memberships and then there's church memberships. Right. Uh, so your church can't be a member if it's part of another hierarchy or organization like right. that. Uh, so can an individual then? I wasn't clear on that. So if you're an individual Southern Baptist pastor, you can join then, even though your well, church can't be? Or no, we, no. we want the church that you're a part of to be independent or, or IFCA. Okay. It, it, either one is fine. If, if um, you're an individual and you want to join, we'd, we'd ask that you are independent as well in your ministry. But we recognize that some of our members can't be. Um, so we'll have some members that um, are committed to IFCA's doctrine, um, but they're retired pastors and their family maybe moves them in an area. There's no IFCA churches and okay. maybe it's a small town and all there is is a very conservative Southern Baptist church. Well, they're, they're joining those churches and they're serving in those churches as laymen, but they're not, um, but, but they're good, solid churches. So we don't say, oh, you, you, you can't be a part of that church. Um, we we want to put them in those situations. But ideally, the spirit of what we've said is we'd like you to be free from denominational uh, connections, if, if that all possible. That's the best scenario. Or even have a track of where you're going to pull out. So we do have some men that join and say, I want to become a member. They're in a Southern Baptist church. We give them a, a period of two years and say, we'd, we'd rather that you move ministries or you move out of that denominational connection that you have with your church. Give them some time to work that out if they really want to be part of IFCA. Okay. Um, now, so that leads to the second question. Then why should a pastor or a church be part of IFCA? What's the benefit to being part of IFCA and the difference between maybe being part of IFCA? And let's take the biggest Protestant denomination, the SBC. What would be the difference between the two? Well, I think that for the, for the, the obvious thing is that IFCA has a, a smaller um, doctrinal statement as far as uh, commitments that we have, it is tighter. And so um, if we're talking about tents, uh, IFCA is a small tent, uh, Southern Baptist is a big tent. And that means that there can be a whole bunch of people in a big tent um, from Stephen Furtick and Greg Laurie to Al Moeller and everything in between. And so the, the doctrinal commitments alone, even though everybody's supposed to sign on, to the Baptist faith and message, uh, you look at what's there and you recognize there's a lot of finger crossing when that thing, those things are signed. And so that, that would be the first thing is that we have an annual commitment 
every organization, every individual reaffirms every single year that they're still committed to the doctrinal statement that we hold to. And, um, you know, that, that requires them to believe some things that you can't be in the Southern Baptist Convention and, or you can be in the Southern Baptist Convention, but you can't be an IFCA. So um, we, we are uh, complementarians um, just across the board. Um, so there wouldn't be even a question about whether or not we would allow a woman pastor in an IFCA church. This is not a question that we have. And, and, you know, as an offshoot of that is we don't have arguments about that. We don't, we don't bring that to convention to discuss in business. It's not a discussion question. It's already settled. We're also cessationists. And I know historically Southern Baptists are cessationists, but we also know that there's a lot of people crossing their fingers about their, the truth of whether they're cessationist or not. We're cessation. We're also dispensationalists. Now, the big tent of Southern Baptists allows for you to be dispensationalist or covenantal or some other stripe in between. Um, but we are dispensational. So we have a very clear eschatology. We have a clear understanding of Israel's relation to the church and things like that. And so, again, we don't have a lot of arguments and fights about those things. We don't believe those are necessary for salvation, but we do recognize they're incredibly important for how you interpret scripture. So that means that we're smaller, um, but that also means that we don't have a lot of internal fighting. We don't have arguments. We don't have debates because we all know what we believe. And that means that every organization, every church, every school, every missions agency, uh, every individual knows what the other guy believes on these core issues. It's like, we know the gospel. We know our commitments. And so I'm not going to show up at a Southern, I mean, excuse me, an IFCA church and recognize that that's a, that woman that's about to step in the pulpit she's not going to preach. I know she's not going to preach. She may sing a special, but she's not going to preach the message because that's just not allowable. If that happens, then we would definitely need to deal with it because it's just not allowable within us. Same thing with, you know, they broke out in tongues and it was a IFCA church. That would be shocking and not acceptable. And there would be discussions on, does that church need to separate from us? Do they want to stay with us, then they need to deal with this theological difference with the doctrine that we hold to. So those are, and, and if, you know, you want to be a part of that kind of a church, if you're dispensational, cessationist, complementarian, dispensational, and you hold to the fundamentals of the faith, um, then that would probably be a good fit for you because, you know, in, in the, we keep bringing up Southern Baptist, so I keep going back to it, but in the Southern Baptist convention, that's a, that's a smaller pool of people, and you're less likely to run into a whole bunch of them, depending on the circles you run in. Um, whereas if you came to IFC, that would be everybody that you're a part of. That would be all the people that you're fellowshipping with and meeting together with, planning together with, planting churches, sending missionaries, going to school with, sending your students to. All of those things would be in, in alignment with you. And, and there's a whole bunch of benefits to that, and uh, we're thankful to the Lord that we, we enjoy that. So uh, the benefits it sounds like well there there's the uh, convention every year right uh, yeah. where people can network and get together hear speakers all of that and then um, and that's where you're going to find someone who might be a, a missions agency that's connected or a school maybe for uh, people in your church that w would be a good fit um, that's to me I think that's a huge thing today because. So many in the PCA, the SBC, uh, some other denominations are, are struggling to uh, with trust issues, really. They they don't know if that person that they're talking to 
um, shares their theology. And it was once, uh, I think, a lot more clear. I think one of the big things today that's pushed that is the social justice movement. And mm -hmm. you mentioned the complementarian issue. Um, I know that there's uh, critical race theory and uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, there's uh, now whether or not a church should even be open if the government tells the church, especially in Canada, not to be open uh, with the COVID stuff. There, there's all these other issues uh, coming upon us, partially because of totalitarianism and government overreach. Um, what about where's the IFCA um, on social justice, more broadly speaking? Uh, I know, again, you mentioned complementarianism. Uh, I know Voice did a whole uh, thing on critical race theory and all that. Um, are there any official positions or is it just, I mean, have you had any issues in the IFCA with divisions over this at all? Well, no, we, we haven't had any divisions. And one of the key reasons why we put together that voice issue, um, it was also a resolution that was from last year and it happened just before our convention last year. We put together a resolution that was passed at our convention. We also had a panel of um, some of the, the authors of those articles um, that spoke and answered questions, gave back and forth. And the main reason for us to address it was because we wanted to inform our pastors and churches of the issue. Some of them um, weren't very informed about it. And, you know, some of them listen to podcasts like yours and read books and things like that. And so they're more informed. But then there's a lot of pastors that are in rural areas and um, they're hearing it. It really started to break out when um, it, it was more in the in the governmental circles and it was getting on news but inside of churches if you're like a little bible church out in the middle of uh, some rural area you might not have heard it directly although when students come back on breaks to their churches and they've been taught that in a state school and they start bringing it into the church it sounds good it uses a lot of language that is familiar and you know to the uh, pastor who's just simply trying to be faithful to the Lord, it doesn't sound objectionable. And so we knew that there was there was a few that hadn't heard of it and that they might have some questions and we wanted to flesh that out for them. We also recognized that when we wrote this resolution, uh, we have a, a resolution committee that worked on it, including Gary Gilley, who's well known outside of IFCA circles. So Gal Gary was one of the men that wrote it. We also had an ad hoc committee that put together all the work for that. And many of them were the authors in that issue of The Voice. We recognize that resolutions are limited. They don't have a lot of space to say and uh, say a lot of things and not be misunderstood. And in this issue, there's a whole lot of talking past each other amongst people that agree as well as people that don't agree. And so what we said is we need to have two venues to do this. We'll put the resolution together and then we will also deal with the broader issues in still short format, which is a magazine, but it's it's easier and faster than somebody writing a whole book. We knew there were men that were coming out with books shortly, and there were several books that came pretty quickly on the heels of our, of our magazine. So we knew that that would be filled, but we needed something short form that could get in the hands of a pastor and his layman, his Sunday school teacher, his elders, they could read it and get through it. And so what we wanted to clarify was um, here, here are some of the historical roots that are a part of this issue that go back to what we've dealt with in the, you know, civil rights movement and the outcomes of this. Um, I, I found a 1969 issue of The Voice magazine where there was a resolution from that year's convention dealing with uh, the reality of reparations being demanded by some radical groups that churches pay reparations. Wow. And the IFCA in 1969 stood against it. They said, we believe that all men are created in the image of God. 
and that we are one people and that we need to love each other and the gospel is for the world and all these things. But we do not believe these things are biblical. And it took a firm stand in 1969 um, because this was the outcome of some of the radicalization in the civil rights movement. And so what we wanted to do is stay committed to who we are, which we are Bible churches. We're Bible teaching people. We're a Bible movement and say, this is what the Bible says. Now to give background, we had to go into the history. We had to show the way that what liberalism normally does is it masks itself and never presents itself in its full wickedness and demonic you know, truthfulness. What it does is it uses a skin, uh, usually of language to cover up what it really means and what it really says, it's uh, Satan loves to hide in the shadows. He doesn't like to come out in the full light. And so we wanted to give definitions. We wanted to give some historical underpinning and background. And then we wanted to look at what the Bible says, um, because really that's the authority for us. So we're going to go out into the church and we're going to say, thus says the Lord. We can say it with great confidence because we know God has said it. And so we had several of our writers said, this is what scripture says that we are all sinners, that there is a thing as racism, and that does sometimes exist in the church, and it and exists in all colors of people, and they need to repent, um, that God is working in us, he's renewing us and changing us. So it wasn't really a hard issue for us to decide, it was um, making sure that we uh, covered the issue biblically. Um, we weren't going to be political, because it's not an issue of politics for us. I mean, it does show itself in politics because it's trying to do things, including, you know, church politics, denominational politics, and things like that. It shows itself there, but it's not really a political issue. It's a moral issue because there's all kinds of moral issues tied into it, and we wanted to speak to the biblical aspects of it, and that did require us to go into some background about some of the writings in history and not just past writings, um, but also current writings of some evangelicals who have dragged that into the church. Um, some liberal, truly liberals, but masking themselves as evangelicals. And then some that are just straight up liberals and that are, are clearly unashamedly liberals, and yet they're being touted amongst evangelicals as innocent, um, not, um, not really something we should be afraid of, and that we can use these tools uh, to somehow uh, help us in reaching people. And we, and we reject that. We, we recognize that's not true. So um, it, wasn't, it wasn't controversial at all. I received only one, I'm the editor of The Voice, so I usually receive the fan mail of different stripes. And so right. I only got one response from one person. It wasn't one of our pastors. I don't know how they got The Voice that was um, somewhat negative uh, about it. It wasn't, it wasn't really bad. It was just, they didn't agree. They felt like we didn't understand the situation. And um, you know, that was it. And so that's usually was, the objection. Yeah. You just yeah. don't understand You could have a PhD in it, but you still don't understand. Right. Um, and, yeah. yeah. Well, that's a breath of fresh air. That's uh, I think what a lot of pastors are looking for and, and wanting is someone who will take a stand on it. And that's what we've seen so far from uh, most evangelical outlets is just an unwillingness or an apprehension about even approaching the issue because let's face it, there are political consequences and in evangelical denominations, either way you go, there's going to be a, a consequence right. perhaps. Uh, so, um, so voice magazine, the IFCA has taken uh, a stand on, on this particular issue. And, um, and this is uh, an organization that people can join for cooperation, for finding out uh, missions agencies to get behind. I know um, we, we, you know, Southern Baptist conventions, obviously one of the big denominations kind of, 
leading members over this issue, but uh, people have asked me, how can I support missionaries now? I mean, my church has always just given to NAM, the North American Mission Board. We we don't know where to go. And so IFCA can be a place where people can get connected with missionaries to support um, chaplains as well, I'm assuming. I think, yeah. doesn't the IFCA sponsor chaplains? Yeah, we have military chaplains. So we endorse military chaplains. They have to have an endorsing agency. And so um, actually our um uh, director of chaplaincy. His name is Bill Dickens. Dr. Dickens is a, a former Southern Baptist. He, he said it wasn't over issues. It was more he felt like the IFCA was a better fit for him. And so he came over. He is a brigadier general retired from uh, U.S. Air Force. And, um, you know, he's a great asset to us. He's, he's a wonderful man. And, you know, we have fights on that front where we're trying to hold our ground with uh, commitments to the LGBTQ movement against our uh, military. So we've written strong letters and things like that. So we stand firm. Bill Dickens is a great asset and great help to us in, in that aspect. We have hospital, fire, police, all those types of things, healthcare chaplains, all of them. And they, they fall under our umbrella as well, all committed. So we know when they go into a hospital room, they're going to give the gospel. We want, we want to help them feel peace, but we know that peace comes through Christ. And that's where people will find their hope. And so, you know, that's the wonderful thing is you start with a good solid theological base and then whatever form it look, takes, you know, whether it's youth, we have a youth convention. Uh, we have about 300 teens that meet for our youth convention annually, or whether it's our women's ministries or whatever it is, it's all based off that doctrinal statement where we all agree. And therefore we understand how does this, how do we function off of that doctrine? So we start with the orthodoxy and then move out to orthopraxy and that, that's a good way to, to be, you know, we're the hub and then you move out in whatever form it might take. We know it's grounded uh, on the scriptures. Yeah, that's no, that's really good. Um, I just a, a question about the doctrine, because I think um, that that this will sort of what you just explained about cessationism and complementarianism and, and all the rest. That's going to weed out some people who might be even against the social justice stuff and they might not like where their denomination's headed, but they'll say, well, I, you know, I'm covenantal. I can't join the IFCA or whatever, which which is the, that's the conviction that's been there for now, what, over eight years in the IFCA. Yeah. Uh, what other things, though, should people be aware of? I mean, Calvinism, Arminianism, where, where does the IFCA stand on, on other um, doctrinal uh, issues, just so people who might be interested are aware whether or not this is a good fit for them? Yeah, well, I would uh, I mean, it's. It's going to be a little hard to cover all the nuances that people might sure, have. So sure, sure. Yeah, the would be our doctrinal statement and read it for yourself. But I would say that we are, um, I, I've, regarding Calvinism, Arminianism, I said you can be a, a you can be a uh, bad Arminian or a, you know, a, a more soft Calvinist. Because our doctrinal statement doesn't really hit all of the points. If you're going to go by the tool of backronym, it doesn't hit all the points of Calvinism, which means that some of those spaces in between, it's left for uh, um, the individual to take a position biblically if they want to defend that position biblically where they stand. So we do have in our doctrinal statement the, the necessity of believing in total depravity. So um, you have to believe in total depravity. So, you know, that kind of throws out the Wesleyan Arminian, but we probably have some that are more Arminian leaning in their doctrine because they accept, now they may be inconsistent, but they accept total okay. depravity. 
Okay. On the other end of the TULIP acronym, Perseverance of the Saints, we have a very clear statement that we do not believe that you can lose your salvation in any way. So you, again, you're going to be a bad Arminian, uh, you know, poor Wesleyan, but you would be within the IFCA's doctrinal statement. So you can, at that point, uh, those two positions, you could be a really strong Calvinist, but we don't make a judgment on the middle ground, except for one area, which is the issue of limited atonement. Uh, classically, uh, IFCA from its very beginning just made a generic statement that we that we believed in the atoning work of Jesus Christ, the power of the atoning work of Christ. Later on, there was some fine tuning on the issue of the atonement, where we uh, we had a rejection in our statement of strict limited atonement, that Christ did not die for the world in any way. But we do have members that believe that Christ died for the world, but his death is sufficient only for the elect. So it's a limited, unlimited view. And then we have some that believe in a full unlimited view, which would be more consistent with our Armenian brothers. Okay. So when you're talking about the limited atonement, uh, not allowable in IFCA because of our doctrine is a strict limited atonement. Christ only died for the world, uh, for the elect and nobody else only died for the elect. That would be more of a, it would tend to be hyper Calvinists. It would be scholastic Calvinists. Um, what I do when I talk to people oftentimes and I, I ask them if they're confused about where they stand, do you see those texts that speak about Christ dying for the world exegetically as speaking that Christ died for the whole world, not rereading it in some other fashion, that that world doesn't mean the world, that it means just the elect? If, if Now, I know that there are some contextually that can be argued in that way, Right. But normally I'll find guys who say, no, there are some ways in that which Christ died for the world. Christ died for the world. And they explain it in different ways. And there are a lot of different exegetical explanations for how you can come up with Christ died for the world. And I don't mean crossing your fingers and acting like you don't really commit to what we believe. But you're truly convinced that Christ died for the world in some sense. And then there are those that say, well, no, I don't believe that Christ died for the world at all. We'd say that's that's going farther than our doctrinal statement we're holding. You're pulling that thing to beyond tensile strength. It, it can't hold that. Right. But if you believe that Christ died for the world in some senses and Christ died for the elect, you're still allowable. There are guys that would say, I believe in limited atonement. And what they mean is Christ died for the world, but the world will only produce those that come to Christ as the elect and therefore it's only a small portion. They're not universalists. There's none of them are universalists. So it's a little bit of a tricky uh, thing for us at times because we're trying to be fair, um, but not we, we don't want to override our own doctrinal statement. That's what our doctrinal statement says. It might, might be that they're Almeridian. Uh, it might be that they hold to a different form that is um, not Almeridianism you know, formally, but it is some other form that's, some would say, no, that's a, that's five point Calvinism. Some would say four and a half point Calvinism. Some would say limited, unlimited. It goes by a lot of different names and it, its understanding is a lot of different. We just wanna make sure that if you're, you're holding to a strictly limited atonement, that's really outside of our doctrinal standard. And although we wouldn't part with you as far as fellowship and things like that, we would say, this is what our statement is. This is like, if you said, I, I'm open, but cautious on the whole uh, charismatic speaking in tongues, thing, well, that's fine. We wouldn't necessarily part ways with you. Uh, we believe you're a, a brother in Christ, but we are non-charismatic. We're a complete cessationist yeah. um, fellowship. And therefore there isn't really room. There's probably other fellowships you'd better be a better fit in. 
and we want to point you in that direction. Yeah, well, it sounds like it's um, I don't want to say vague, but it's it's because uh, because your doctrinal statement's actually pretty specific. But on on some like an issue like limited atonement, uh, it's yeah. broad enough, uh, general enough uh, would be the word, I guess, that you you can have someone who um, it sounds like you could have a five point Calvinist in the organization uh, who just uh, uh, you know defines world uh, or or thinks in their mind uh, their conception of world is cosmos and and just not. Uh, they don't have to, as long as they don't go um, the extra step of of denying that Christ died for the world in some sense, they're okay. That's what I hear you saying is that, so, so which would be, I think, the vast majority of Calvinists probably. Right. Yeah. And there, and there would be some that would say, no, it, right. it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that. Um, but there's a lot of guys, you know, um, I would say the vast majority, I went to master's seminary and mo- the vast majority of old professors in master's seminary. And many of them were, were IFCA members that, you know, since passed yeah. away, but we have lots of guys that are uh, connected to masters that are in IFCA and uh, would consider themselves faithful biblical Calvinists. Um, and, and so, and there would be out, those outside of IFCA that would say they're Calvinists and yet um, they don't hold to a strict limited atonement. They would say it's limited, unlimited, and they would be fine. And so, you know, if that's an issue, we can talk through individual guys and understandings of how they come to their conclusions and whether or not that would be pushing it. Um, but then there are people that, you know, they, they believe in total depravity and perseverance of the saints, but they really are functionally in some ways, probably closer to uh, a classic Arminian in some things. Um, and, and they probably, it, it depends on certain things, but they probably would find a home at IFCA as well. Because those are some of the issues that there's a friendly disagreements on that we can talk about and we can we can discuss them, but we still would fit underneath that tent. Same thing with ecclesiology issues. Uh, we don't demand a certain type of government, even though most of our churches have elders and deacons. If a church had trustees and deacons, then that, that doesn't even come up in the process. We don't care about you know whether you wear a tie. Uh, or a coat on a Sunday morning. We don't care how long your sermons are. We don't care if you got a drum set or if all you sing is traditional hymns. None of those things really relate to IFCA membership because we're biblical fundamentalists. We're not cultural fundamentalists. So the length of your hair and the length of the skirt don't have an issue with us. That's a local church issue. And if a local church says, you know, anybody that's up on our platform on a Sunday morning needs to wear a tie, well, that's a local church issue. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't bother with that. Um, and we let everybody deal with modesty issues or whatever else that might be within your church on a local church level, because we're, we're not the church. And um, we recognize the place for uh, IFCA and our association for those things. So what, what can people, what's the process if someone's interested, uh, if they want to become a member and then what can they expect if they come to a convention then? Yeah. So the, on, on our website, it says join IFCA and then it goes through the process for you, but it's basically uh, you fill out the application, which is going to require basic information about you. Uh, if you're a male, you just can ask for your spouse. Um, women can join, but women join by virtue of their husbands joining or individually joining usually because they're looking at healthcare chaplaincy or something like that. Um, but it, as they fill that out, they're going to also be required to have references. Um, they need to have four references that are IFCA members. If they don't have four, then they'll have six references. 
we try to get them somewhere around ministry. So whether it's a professor in, in seminary or Bible college, or whether it's some fellow pastors, we want, we want six references so that we can get to know you. And it's just a, you know, two page form that they're going to fill out on how well they know them. There's going to be some um, questions, yes and no questions about where they stand according to our doctrine. Some of those key points about, um, you know, to, to kind of vet, are, are they word of faith? Are they charismatic? Things like that. And then it'll ask some specifics about theology where it's kind of a write-in short answer question uh, to what's their view of, um, you know, the church in Israel, um, dispensationalism, things like that. Uh, separation. Um, what do you believe about separation? We believe in biblical separation but from apostates and things like that. So they're going to write their answers out. So that's, that's the application process. They're going to fill all of that out and, and send it in for an individual. The uh, church individual application or church or organization, it's a little more of a lengthy process because they have to have articles of incorporation, um, you know, all the specific governmental numbers that are necessary. It's going to ask for financial records, mm -hmm. I think, for a year or something like that, who, who all of their officers are, their names and things like that. Um, and then there's a little bit deeper dive in, into the organization itself to make sure that their, their theology lines up with ours to make sure that they have, uh, like I said, we don't look at, at um, government issues, theolo theological issues, as far as uh, do you have deacons and elders. But if you had elders and there were women, then that's a, not just an ecclesiological issue, now it's a theological issue in addition to that. Mm -hmm. So we want to find out who's leading your church and things like that, when yeah. it was established, why it was established, why do you want to join all that? After those applications have been turned in, we for the individual, we wait on the references to come in. And then um, that packet shows up on my desk, and I've got a, about seven of them behind me there. I review them um, and make sure that there is nothing that sets off any red flags. We look at education. So where did you go to school? You know, where did you receive your training? Your answers to your questions and things like that. If, if I look at it and it looks like it's probably fine, um, I might have some further questions on it, but uh, I, I leave it to a committee. So once a month, we have a committee that meets here in the office a credentials committee where several of the men get packets. It has all the references, the application. It also includes, it includes an interview. So an individual is going to be interviewed by somebody local. Mm -hmm. IFC is broken up into 40 regions in the United States. And so the regional president, if he's available, will interview you either on phone or, or you know, Zoom or maybe in person. He'll sit down with you and he'll go through a whole panel of questions and get to know you a little bit better, ask you how you feel about things like um, you know, seeker sensitive movements, or what do you know about IFCA and our theology or history and things like that, just to find out how familiar you are to see if you are a good fit. And then he recommends you or doesn't recommend you or writes notes and says, here's some concerns I might have. All of that in the packet goes to the credentials committee. Three men look at that. They read through the whole file, read everything that you've submitted to us. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then they sign it and then they have a meeting afterwards after everybody's read through all the packets three times, then they go ahead and discuss any issues that they might have. Some people, there's no issues at all. Some people, there's a few questions and then they vote. And so sometimes they'll vote and say, absolutely, we'll accept this person or this church in. Um, sometimes they'll vote and say, we've got some questions, so we're going to give them membership, but it's only provisional. They need to fix this thing or answer these questions because we're not sure. Or they'll say, no, um, they're just not a good fit. They, they, 
come from a different background, it's clear that they're Pentecostal and, and we just need to let them know that they're just not a good fit for us. And so um, it depends on how fast that the references come in, but it could take as little as a month for that process to happen. Um, sometimes references are slow. And so it could take maybe a couple months for those things to come in and for us to get it processed. But that's usually, it's, it's somewhat quick. Yeah. Got it. So they uh, come to their first uh, convention and they meet people. And so what, what can they expect? What's going to happen there uh, as far as uh, networking and, and just yeah. uh, speakers and all of that? Yeah. So um, if they come to the convention, we highly recommend it. You don't have to be a member to come to convention, by the way. This coming year, um, we just had ours. So this coming next year, we'll be in Covington, Kentucky, right on the Ohio um, and uh, Kentucky border, right on the Ohio River. By Noah's so Ark, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's nearby there. It's nearby there. Yeah. So um, what, they'll, what they'll see is there's, there's a huge camaraderie. I mean, it really is almost like being in heaven because... There's just a lot of happiness and friendship and love and seeing people you haven't seen. Some of them maybe in a year, if they hadn't been in convention, maybe a couple of years. People cross paths a lot in IFCA. We're, we're talking about, about 1,500 members. That's churches and individuals. And so if you're talking about that small of a group, there's a lot of camaraderie there. So they're getting to see each other together, um, having meals and stuff together. All our meals are together for lunch and dinner normally. So it's um, Monday through Friday. So it's lunch and dinner together, four of those days. And then um, each night, starting with Monday night, there's a general session speaker. And we've had all kinds of general session speakers. Um, some of them within our, our fellowship, many of them, we have a lot of really good, solid biblical teachers in our fellowship, but a few, few outside of our fellowship as well that we appreciate and can teach us a lot of things. And so they'll go to a general session, which is basically like a big church service. So we'll have wonderful worship music. We will have um, uh, all kinds of introductions of, of different people, giving reports and things like that. And then we'll have uh, a great message uh, from the word of God. Um, Friday week or Thursday night, we close because Friday we only have morning sessions and, and then we dismiss. But Thursday night, because we're all together, it's almost like we're all getting ready to say goodbye. So we actually have, along with our regular service, we'll have communion together as well. And although we recognize we're not a church, there's a lot of pastors in our fellowship. And so they rarely get to sit with their wife and children and have communion. So this is a special time for us, for us to just come before the Lord and be refreshed and to worship. So, and in between there, we'll have um, theological panels. So this past year, we had a panel on evangelism because we were in New Mexico. And um, so we had Mike Gendron. Uh, we had a guy named Jesse Randolph, who was out in California and down, now in Nebraska, and that guy named Justin Gort, who was out in Utah with Mormons, and now he's in um, Kansas. And so we had those three guys and myself talking about evangelism and the importance of it, and then just kind of different aspects of ministering amongst different groups of people. Um, we had a theological panel that was just our speakers talking about our hope uh, in Christ and life and death. That was our theme. And so um, Tony Wood, uh, who's Costi Hinn's uh, former pastor, he's a, an IFC, Tony's an IFCA pastor out in California. Um, and then Alex Montoya, who's a longtime IFCA pastor, as well as a longtime uh, master seminary professor. He was one of our speakers. And Chad DeYoung, who's a local pastor here in uh, um, Grand Rapids. So we had them on one panel as well. They are all general session speakers. 
And then I mentioned Gary Gilley before. Gary Gilley every year does a theological panel where he spends almost two hours and they usually talk about some current subject, the Enneagram, uh, social justice, uh, whatever. He studies and reads constantly and he's always putting out book reviews. As he does that, um, usually there's some topic that catches his interest and he does deeper studies, deeper dives. This year he did the whole, on the whole issue of um, eternal sonship, the subordination of the son, Trinitarian. Oh yeah. So his, was, his topic was surrounding that whole Trinitarian subject, um, which he always draws a lot of guys and they're very interested. These are Bible guys. They love the Bible. They love theology. They love the word. So they're always kind of flocking to those kinds of opportunities giving up golf. There's a golf outing during that time. And there's guys that will not go to golf because they want to sit and they want to just soak it up. Um, and then we have uh, seminars. We have usually about 22 seminars um, during the middle of the day. So speakers from all, you know, they're professors, they're pastors, uh, they're missionaries, they're church planters, they're just a whole gamut of different subjects going throughout the day. We have a women's conference that runs during that conference and it's just for women. So um, wonderful, godly Bible teaching speakers that will go and present to the women. Um, Susan Heck was this year's uh, speaker. Susan Heck has uh, memorized massive portions of the, of the New Testament. Her husband, who passed away um, very recently, um, memorized the whole Bible. I mean, that, this is incredible. And so she didn't just talk about Bible memorization, but actually put the word uh, in really good, solid Bible teaching. And so they have good, solid Bible teachers, and then they have a few seminars themselves, but generally they, they come to all of the other things. So we don't produce a whole bunch only for women, but a good portion. There's training for military chaplains, training for church planters. We had a couple of podcasters there that were doing their thing. So you're going to get a mix of that. And then there's all kinds of displayers. We have displayers all over the place um, with member organizations, as well as partner organizations that work with us because they know our commitment to the Bible. And so they want to be there. They want to represent because they know that uh, the people in our churches, as well as our members, are great assets to the movement of uh, you know, conservative Christianity. So they want to expose us to their ministry so they can uh, find interest in working together in some way. So. Yeah. Well, excellent. Thank you for that, that description. That was very uh, helpful. Uh, and, you know, people want to find out more, they can go to ifca.org and they can sign up there or just yeah. uh, look through the doctrinal statement. Uh, I'm sure there's other uh, links. Actually, the ifca.org is one of the places that I'll send people, one of the search engines uh, for people who are looking for a church. Mm -hmm. um, and most often it's, you know, my church has gone woke or something. What, where can you tell me? And I'll say, well, here's one website that you can look at and, and maybe there's something in your area and check it out. Um, but, uh, yeah, Pastor Vargas, I appreciate it. Um, thank you so much. Is there anything that I left out that you want to, uh, mention, uh, in, in our final thoughts here? Yeah. I mean, cause you mentioned the convention, which only happens once a year, but, you know, we, we serve, uh, tirelessly as pastors. I was pastor in California for 17 years before I left to come to Grand Rapids for this position. And, uh, one of the best things I think of IFCA is our regionals. So California is such a large state that we have two regionals. There's a Southern California and a Northern California regional. And, um, you know, we get together, each regional is independent. There's 40 of them. And so because they're independent, they plan when they meet, how they meet, what, what they do at their meetings, how frequently they meet, all of that. But in, in Southern California, all the pastors that were IFCA pastors are brothers in arms. 
We all got together to encourage each other to keep fighting the good fight. And that's helpful because being independent, you can just get insulated and you forget and you feel, you feel like Elijah, you know, and you think I'm the last one that hasn't bowed the knee to Baal. And when you get together with other pastors and other members, our churches were all involved as well. So you had all kinds of Christians, not just pastors, all stirring each other up to love and good deeds and, and just helping each other, encouraging each other, and even provoking each other. Sometimes we need to be pushed because we're not doing what we should be doing. And then you hear other guys, maybe smaller churches that are struggling even more than you are. You were kind of down and you thought you, it was the worst. And then you found out, well, here's a brother that just keeps at it. And he's in a worse situation than I am. And yet the Lord is continuing to show grace to him. Those are helpful. And so, you know, some, sometimes a regional is really stretched out because of geography and it's hard for them to get together, but even organizing um, zoom calls so you can pray together and, and reach out and love each other, help each other, encourage each other, bounce questions off each other, all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of networking that happens in IFCA, some official, some unofficial. That's, that's a huge benefit as well, because we have work to do, but we need to remember we're not doing it by ourselves and we need each other. And so I believe in being independent, but not being alone. And, and that's something that IFCA definitely offers. Awesome. Awesome. Well, like I said, IFCA.org and uh, uh, Pastor Vargas, thank you so much once again. God bless you and, and all you're doing there. Thanks for having me. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.